My name's Sean, I'm one of the pastors here, and we have been working through a series in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible with you, if you got it on your phone, on a tablet, you can go to Matthew 12. After about two months, we're gonna try and finish up Matthew 12 today. If you don't, don't worry. Most, today, most of the relevant text is gonna be right here on this screen for you as well. Now, I, I went to um, school in East Tennessee, don't hold it against me, they do uh, speak English there sometimes. Um, but I had a professor and he said this, never read more than three verses. He got to talk like that, he had a little bit of a nasally voice. Never read more than three verses. And then he'd say, he'd say, your people have the attention span of a fly. So today, we're going to do something different, okay? I'm going to read all 12 verses uninterrupted, okay? And we're going to prove to them that maybe in East Tennessee, backwoods East Tennessee, people have the attention span to fly. But we Oregonians, we can pay attention for 12 seconds, so don't let me down here, okay? After all these years, I'm going to finally stick to my professor who gave me a B, which may have been the best grade I ever got in school. So here we go. If you have your Bibles, here we go. You ready? Matthew 12. Verse 38 is where we're going to read. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of the man, that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this generation. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. There we go. We did it. Yes. I always told him I was smarter than him, and you guys affirmed it. Thank you for bolstering my self-confidence this morning. <laughs> um, here's the question I want to ask you today. What do you do when Jesus doesn't behave? 
What do you do? And maybe it's a little bit of an odd question sound, but I want you to be as honest as you can this morning with yourself and ask this question. What do you do when Jesus doesn't behave? When Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do, or when Jesus doesn't do what you expect him to do? When he doesn't behave, what do you do? Uh, This passage begins with the Pharisees and the scribes that think like religious leaders. They ask a question of Jesus. Now, here's an important question that's hard to get in the context. Is this question that they're asking, is it sincere or not? Well, so that you can know, let me show you a verse that happens about 20 verses before in Matthew 12, verse 14. This is the same day, same context, same things going on, and it says this. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Is this question sincere or not? No. No, they're not interested in any actual sign. They're not actually being convinced of who Jesus is. They've already decided, as we come into this passage, that they're going to kill Jesus. And it's also interesting to note, I mean, this is, what, what, 12 chapters. This is actually years before they ever actually do crucify Jesus. They've decided in their mind that they're going to crucify him. Now, to understand all that's going on, you got to understand all of Matthew 12. We've been in it for about two months, and you might remember the story began way back with Jesus, and his disciples are walking through a field, and there's some grain, and, and they're taking the grain, they're rubbing it in their hands, and they're eating it, and, and the Pharisees critique Jesus and his disciples for the way they honor the Sabbath, and then Jesus just schools them, right? Because he's Jesus. He's God. He's like, you guys don't even know what you're talking about. Let me explain to you scripture in a way that actually is true and real. And then it says, it says that he went into a synagogue. Well, actually, Matthew's more specific than that, and I love this. It doesn't say that he went <clears throat> into a synagogue. He went into their synagogue. Uh, so he, this is for free for you today. Uh, never approach scripture seeing Jesus as a victim. There is never a point in time where Jesus does not understand exactly what he's doing. He has this conversation with these guys in the field, so he goes to their church. And in their church, in their synagogue, he finds a man with a withered hand, and it's still on Sabbath, and he finds this man that these Pharisees and these religious leaders have walked with. They've known this guy. This is a guy from their church, and he heals the guy. And then he finds a guy who's demon-possessed, Same community, same group of people. Finds a man who's demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and he heals that guy. And then we come to the end of Matthew 12 with this, albeit, we're going to talk through each one of them, a little bit of weird stories. Um, He comes to this end, and this is kind of his his altar call to them. you got to make a decision. What are you going to do? Because here's what's really going on. You see, Scripture tells us that God, that Jesus knows what's going on in the heart of the religious leaders. He knows this. This is no surprise to him. He knows that they want to kill him. So Jesus gives them these three stories. Jonah, a haunted house, and Jesus kind of being a little rude to his mom. To understand this whole section, there's a really important question you have to ask that you need to know the answer to um, that we don't often investigate as deeply as we should. The question is this, why did the Pharisees want to kill Jesus? Why did they want to kill Jesus? 
Well, let me tell you a little bit about history, about what's been going on up to this time in Israel. Now, for hundreds of years, um, religious leaders in, in the Jewish faith have been waiting for and anticipating this promised Messiah, this chosen one that would come. They've been, there's all these prophecies written about him, and for 400 years, God's silent. And in the absence of silence, the people try and fill the gap with explanation. Isn't that what we do? In the moments when God is silent in our life, we try and make up excuses, make up explanations, and it never goes well than just rather sitting in the silence. And so God's silent, and so these, these false messiahs begin to rise up, and they begin to say, um, I'm the messiah, and, and, and they were looking for a certain type of messiah. They were looking for a messiah that was a greater David, a greater King David, right? There was a, a mighty warrior king that would come with a sword and would drive out the Romans, their oppressors. I mean, do you remember, even though David wrote all of the, not all of the Psalms, but many of the Psalms, he was a poet and a musician, um, he was also a warrior. And in fact, at one point, he wants to build the temple. And you know what God says to him? He says, you can't build the temple because you have too much blood on your hands, right? This is a warrior king. They're looking for a, 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 a Messiah who's a greater Moses, who will stand up in front of the Egyptian Pharaoh, in their cases, stand up in front of Rome and say, let my people go and deliver their people through miraculous moves of God, deliver them out through the Red Sea and return them to their land, to their promised land, even though they physically sit there, they don't spiritually inhabit the place. And over these hundreds of years, false messiahs had risen up. And they said, you know, oh, I'm the Messiah, I'm the son of David, I'm the one who's come, right? And they would gather these people together, and, and sometimes there were a couple dozen, sometimes there were thousands of people that would gather together. But could you imagine, it wouldn't be that hard. You gather all these people together, and, and, and we imagine, like, how crazy would it be for, like, 1,200 people, like, one rebellion was 1,200 people, to rebel against the most powerful army the world had ever seen, the Roman Empire that was believed to occupy the known world, right? But, but then you just say, hey, hey, you guys, remember Gideon? Remember the story, Gideon? 300 men. 300 men, God will fight for us. And they would, they would rally these troops in rebellion and, and they would try and rise up against the Romans and then the Romans did what the Romans do and there's rebellion and they don't just kind of come against rebellions, they smother them, they crush them, they obliterate them. And so in this season, a group of religious leaders that we now call the Pharisees had risen up to try and be like a filter to this coming Messiah. Because you see, they knew, the Pharisees knew that the Israelite people could only handle so many more false messiahs. They knew that every single time a false messiah, a rebellion rose up, that Rome crushed down on it, that the, that the hand of Rome got a little bit tighter around the neck of the Israelites. And they weren't wrong. In just a little bit more than the generation after Jesus, the Romans come and they crush the center of the Jewish faith, Jerusalem, so much. It's like a historic crushing of a people in a city. And they knew. They knew that there were only so many times. And Jesus comes along claiming to be his Messiah. And they see him as another false Messiah coming along claiming to be this Messiah. And, and, he, and he doesn't look like they expect him to. He doesn't look like they want him to. He doesn't come riding in on a horse with a sword, with, with um, aggression and, and war language. He comes in and he says things like this. He says, um, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? One time a, a disciple comes to Jesus and they say, Jesus, do you, do you want us to cast fire down on this evil city? 
right? And Jesus says, no, in fact, he says, um, he says actually, I, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself, and by neighbor, I mean the people that you call your enemies, right? He didn't look like they wanted him to. He didn't look, he didn't behave the way that they wanted him to. And, and maybe you've been here too. I've watched a lot of people get here to where um, one of the worst, uh, one, um, one theologian said, the, the most horrendous export America has ever sent out is the prosperity gospel. The, the health and wealth gospel. This idea that Jesus exists simply to solve all your problems. That if you follow Jesus, that he'll fix everything. That all you gotta do is say the prayer in the right way. Uh, you gotta do the right things. You gotta serve often enough. You gotta show up to church. You gotta give this amount of money. And if you do all those things, God will fix all your problems. The problem is that that's not the deal. The problem is that that's not at all what's represented in scripture. But we have that temptation and you've probably asked that question. Uh, uh, things happen in your life. Brokenness happens. Pain happens. And, 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 and you, you begin to ask these, God, why don't you? Why couldn't you? Well, you can do this. You have healed people. You've restored relationships. You've brought people back to life. Why would you not do this? And we can begin to wrestle with our failed expectations of Jesus. And the Pharisees and even Jesus' mom and his brothers, we're going to see later, are wrestling with failed expectations. Jesus didn't behave the way he wanted him to. Now, now, let me be really clear. There is nothing wrong with asking the question. In fact, I think that it is healthy. I think that our God is big enough for you to cry out and say, God, where are you? God, what are you doing God, 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 it feels like you've abandoned me and you've forgotten me. God, why don't you care? It feels like you don't care. I think that it's right and good. The question is, what do you do when Jesus doesn't behave the way you want him to? Jesus gives an answer to the Pharisees. He gives an answer um, right here. It says in Matthew 12, verse 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. God, if you would just do it. God, if you would just, if you would just heal this person, if you just fix this relationship, if you just get me this job, if you just get me through this class, if you just let me pass this test, if you just fix my kids, if you just let the phone ring, if you just let the money go far enough, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the sun be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah, huh? Jonah, isn't that a weird prophet for Jesus to compare himself to? I would contend Jonah may be the absolute worst prophet for Jesus to compare himself to. Have you read the story of Jonah? Like, do you know the story? Not the Bible, not the, not the little kid's version of the story of Jonah. There, I would contend, I, I would argue, if you haven't read the book of Jonah, go back and read it. It's only, what, five, six chapters? Go back and read it. I would argue that there is not a single redeemable characteristic about Jonah in the whole of the book. There's nothing, in fact, I would contend that the purpose of Jonah is to prove God's faithfulness in our complete, utter rebellion, bitterness, and faithfulness. I mean, you know the story. God calls Jonah, and he says, hey, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. 
right? And Jonah leaves, he gets on a ship, and he goes to a city which is literally, in their day, it was known as the edge of the world. It was the farthest in the opposite direction. He's going as far away from what God's called him to, and then he doesn't go, oh, well, you know, I I made a bad choice. I I should go to Nineveh. You know? You know what he says? He says, throw me overboard. You know why? Because he'd rather die than go preach the Ninevites. At least if I drown in the ocean, I don't have to go to the Ninevites. Right? But God's got different plans. So he sends this sea monster. He sends a big fish. And he eats him. And he holds him for three days. And then to get Jonah to Nineveh, God literally has to vomit Jonah up onto the beach. Right? And he goes and he preaches. In, in Hebrew, the sermon he gives is about the most pathetic sermon you've ever heard in your life. It's five words long. Five words. And then, because of God's miraculous mercy, the people repent and they turn back to God, and God is merciful and he doesn't destroy them, right? And then do you remember the end of the story, the last part of the chapter? There's no turning point. This is just the end. Uh, Jonah gets angry at God but because of the injustice of him showing mercy to the Ninevites. <laughs> a little bit of a weird prophet to compare himself to. But it's this, it's, it's this right here that Jesus is saying. Now look, the testimony that I am from God will be like that of Jonah. I know, this is what Jesus is saying to him, I know you guys want to kill me. Hey, guess what? I'm God. I know the things that are going on in your mind and your heart. I know you want to kill me. And guess what? Even more than that, I'm going to let you kill me. I'm going to let you kill me. I'm going to let you hang me on a cross. I'm going to let you bury me and put me in a tomb. But I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to stay there. They demand a sign, and Jesus gives them a sign. But it's not the sign that they want. Sometimes this is the most difficult thing about following Jesus is we want to see God move. We want to see God do something. We pray for weeks, maybe months, maybe years for God to do something specific. And the answer we get isn't the answer we wanted. So what do you do? What do you do when Jesus doesn't behave? There's even more to that than the story. Um, In the story, it says that... uh, Jesus tells them that the Ninevites will rise up in the end, that the Ninevites will rise up and condemn them, right? Because the Ninevites heard Jonah's bitter, angry, pithy, five-word sermon, and they repented. And and that the queen of the south, uh, the queen of Ethiopia, it's a story in 1 Kings 10, um, it's a great story about uh, King Solomon's wisdom was so profound that even this, this, this queen from Africa traveled an enormous distance to come to sit at the feet to hear just a little bit of the wisdom of God poured out through Solomon. And and here's what he's saying. Hey, 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 Pharisees, Um, even non-Jewish people will flock to me at the itty-bitty little hint of my goodness and grace. And yet God himself, me, God, stands in front of you and you want nothing to do with me because I don't fit your expectation or behave the way you want me to. So my question to you is what do you do when Jesus doesn't behave? Jonah, haunted house, and uh, Jesus being a little bit rude to his mom. Haunted house. That's a weird story, isn't it? Can we just, can we just agree? Like, even if you just look at the text, 
I'm not gonna put it on the screen here, but if you just look at the text, he's talking about Solomon, and then in verse 43, it just says, now when the unclean spirit goes, there's like no transition. Jesus just starts talking about an unclean spirit in a haunted house, right? It's a little bit of a weird story, but here's what Jesus is trying to tell him. The Pharisees' focus and their energy had been on removing the unclean things, You look at Jesus' interaction with them, they were constantly concerned with trying to clean things, trying to eliminate evil, trying to eliminate brokenness, trying to eliminate rebellion, and yet, when God himself, we talked about this last week, the one who is good stood in front of them, they wanted nothing to have him. And here's what he's saying, if all you do is spend all of your life trying to not be bad, you'll end up worse than before. Because you see, and we know this, here, here's how it works. If, if you tried spending all your life, I'm not saying that anybody verbally says that they're going to do this, but if you tried, if you tried, if you tried to spend the rest of your life trying to be a good person, whatever moral preset that you decide that is, if you decided you're going to be a good person and you spent all your life trying to do that, okay, you'd end up in one of two places. The first one is this. You'd end up either in your mind having accomplished it, and then you would be the most intolerable, arrogant jerk the world's ever seen, Right? Because you become so prideful. Well, I fixed myself. I don't know why you can't get your stuff together. I pulled myself up. I, got, I disciplined myself. I don't know why you can't do it, right? Which was the Pharisees. Or you'll be honest enough with yourself to realize the brokenness is so deep-seated in you that when you look back on the track of your life, littered the evidence of your brokenness. And you'll end up in despair. And you'll end up self-loathing. And in reality, both of those are self-centered and prideful and self-consumed. And that's what followers of the Pharisees had realized. At one point, they say, well, if, if, if the Pharisees can't even do this, then how could we? You see, some of us have believed that following Jesus is about just not being bad. Whatever that even means. Just not doing bad things. Being a kind person, being a nice person. But if all you do is become a more moral person, my my wife and I have had this conversation many times. You you know, what the gospel says, what the scriptures say, what what we believe is good people go to hell. It's not good people that go to heaven. It's not people who've disciplined themselves to be nice enough and kind enough and help enough old ladies across the street and give enough money to local charities or to international charities. It's not the good people. It's the people who've been saved, the people who've been filled by the Spirit of God, the people who've been redeemed, who've been bought back, who've been covered by the blood of Jesus. You see, if all you do is ever war against evil, you won't end up good, you'll end up prideful. The Pharisees had the goodness of God standing in front of them. And they still found a way to imagine that healing a man with a busted up hand and healing a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was wicked and evil. So what do you do? What do you do when Jesus doesn't behave? In fact, this illustration here of the haunted house is, is exactly the story of, um, a great story of why we do Rooted. You, you saw a video earlier with Rich about Rooted. It's 10 weeks. It, it starts tonight. 
Um, you, can, you can sign up right now. You can go to mymcc.cc slash rooted, and you can do, we've got an online one going on tonight that you can join, or we've got an in-person one on Tuesday nights that you can get signed up for. You can find all kinds of information at mymcc.cc slash rooted. Get yourself signed up. It is 10 weeks. This is what we do. We spend 10 weeks not only, which is good, trying to clear out all the junk, trying to get rid of all the nastiness, trying to confess our brokenness one to another, walk through all of our bitterness and anger and apathy, walk through those things, but not only to empty out the bad things, but to allow ourselves to be filled by the goodness of God, to pour ourselves into him, to study a scripture, to spend um, one week, I don't want to terrify you, but one week to spend hours in a prayer experience just sitting and allowing the spirit of God to fill us and to transform us. So you get yourself signed up for Rooted. Jonah, the haunted house, and Jesus being a bit rude to his mom. It says this in Matthew 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the crowd, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark, Mark's accounting of the story, Mark tells us more about why his mother and his brothers are there. Uh, it's actually an interesting tidbit of history that is a really compelling argument to who Jesus is and what happened in the early church is that uh, there's no evidence before his resurrection that any of his family followed him as the Messiah. But afterwards, at least two of his brothers became prominent leaders in the early church. And according to church tradition, both of them were actually killed on the testimony that their brother was God himself. Now, if you have siblings, think about what it would take for you to cross that threshold to believe your sibling is God himself. That's a big threshold, okay? But they're standing outside. And Mark tells us that they'd come because they, they kind of thought that Jesus had lost his mind. You know, they kind of came to like, Jesus, okay, 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 Jesus, this, it's been good, it's been fun, I'm glad you guys got, you got a couple guys who want to follow you around, I hear you've done some weird things that I don't know how to explain, you have some cool powers of stuff you do, but Jesus, this is getting a little old, it's, it's time to come home, it's time to come home. You're kind of messing with our name in the community and in the synagogue and in the marketplace, it's a little weird, it's, it's time to come home. And for a different reason, to a different crowd, Jesus gives an answer to a group of people who were bothered that Jesus wasn't behaving the way that they wanted him to. Look at this. Look at what it says. His mother and brothers were standing outside. Jesus, his disciples, and even the religious leaders stood inside, and his mother and his brothers stood outside. Sometimes... Sometimes it's easier when Jesus doesn't behave just to walk away and stand back. Sometimes we have this temptation to, to want to barter with Jesus and barter with God and say, God, come here, come here. You come fix me and you come fix my problems. You, you come here. You come take care. You prove to me. And it's easier for us to stand at a distance and to make excuses well, I, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know if there's enough uh, uh, legitimacy in the historicity of Scripture. Well, well, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, when you, when you consider the second date of text of the post-exile Babylonian Hebrew, blah, 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 blah. And we make excuses. And some of us, when Jesus doesn't behave, we stand back just at a safe enough distance that we don't actually have to do anything different. Maybe we even 
go to church in person or online. Maybe we even do a Bible study, but we stand just far enough away from Jesus. We stand just outside the house so that we don't actually have to do anything different. It seems to me in this story, there are three ways that we can respond to Jesus when he doesn't behave. As the Pharisees did, as his mother and brothers did, or as the disciples did. Because you know where the disciples were? In the house, at the feet of Jesus. They had come to him and said, you are our only hope. At one point, at one point Jesus says, are you too also gonna leave me? And one of the disciples said to him, where, where else are we gonna go? I can't explain what's going on in life and the heartache and the brokenness and the pain that I'm experiencing is gut-wrenching and I don't know why God would allow this to happen and I don't know why God would let the world be this way, but there's no other place to go. You're the one who has the words of life. You're the one who has the words of life. You remember Jesus, Jesus gave the Pharisees an answer. Maybe, maybe today, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're like the Pharisees or like his mother and brother. Maybe, maybe you, you've just been so frustrated with God not coming through that you've become bitter and angry. And, and you can't physically kill Jesus. You know, he's in, he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You can't physically kill him, but maybe in your spirit, in your life, in your mind, you want to kill him, just like eliminate him from him. Maybe, maybe you're like the mothers and brothers and you just want to stand far enough away that you can, you can observe, you can say, oh, that's some really great thoughts he had. That's some nice, oh, that's cool things, Jesus. That's great things that church is doing over there. But don't ever actually have to do anything different. But Jesus gives the, gives the Pharisees a sign. You remember what the sign was? It was him. It was him. He said, you want a sign of God's goodness and grace and mercy and power and kindness? Today, maybe you're in here, uh, maybe you're watching online and you're tired. Or maybe this is even like a last ditch effort. You're like, okay, one last time. I'm going to give this God thing one last try. But God, if you don't figure this out and get this all together, if you don't behave the way that I expect you to behave, I'm out and I'm done. And Jesus, I think with all the compassion you can imagine him mustering, would say the same thing to you that he said to the Pharisees. You want a sign? I'm that sign. It says this in John, for God so loved the world. God, I don't understand. I know that every single one of us, followers of Jesus or not, are going to endure heartache and brokenness and pain, much of it that we'll never be able to explain. But 2,000 years ago, God posted a sign in human history as a stamp for all times that you would know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Maybe the answer isn't what you want. Maybe the answer doesn't make sense. Maybe you've been praying and, and crying and weeping and pleading and begging God and giving him everything that you can in hoping that maybe he'll do something too different to fix this brokenness and this pain that you're experiencing. And maybe he hasn't. 
but for all time to declare to you, just as he did the Pharisees, I will give you a sign. I will take all the brokenness of this world onto myself. I will allow myself to be murdered and buried and take all the consequences of the rebellion of the whole world on to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It says this in Romans. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Just, just breathe that in for a moment. No matter the circumstances, the situation in your life, it cannot change the truth of 2,000 years ago that God gave his son in your place, that he demonstrated in a moment in history for all time that will ripple and echo into eternity his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what will you do? There will be heartache. There will be weeping. There will be nights maybe days, maybe weeks, where your heart will ache. Scripture tells us in a way that you can't even articulate words, that you'll just groan in pain, and you'll begin to ask the question, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why won't you fix this? But what will you do? For God, 2,000 years ago, cried from the mountaintop the depths of his love, he who gave his own son for you, what more will he not do for you? God, where would we go? To who else could we run to? For you are the one who have the words of life.